This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome back to another season of Driven by Data, the podcast. Powered by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. We are delighted to bring you season four of Driven by Data, the podcast. And our aim remains exactly the same, to bring you some of the most respected and recognized thought leadership figures from the world of data analytics to share their knowledge, ideas, use cases, and insights across how they've tackled some of the industry's most trending topics and challenges. All that's left to say is sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, season four. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Sanjeevan Bala, who is the Group Chief Data and AI Officer at ITV. So Sanjeevan, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me, Carl. Yeah. Pleasure, pleasure as always speaking to you, sir. So uh, where we always start is by asking our guests to give themselves a, I guess, brief introduction into their background and journey up until this point in time, if uh, if you'd be so kind. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think I'd sort of broadly describe my journey as initially starting off in in sort of management consultancy. Uh, and that's great because you sort of move around different sectors, you learn kind of stakeholder management and sort of you you, you become that trusted advisor, really. Um, then moved into sort of what I describe as sort of startup scale ups, you know, in Silicon Valley. And that was just an incredible experience, um, Kyle. So the, the sort of the, the mindset, the sort of delusional optimism, the sort of speed and agility you need to run with uh, and you become a sort of a jack of all trades in many ways around you know how do you scale business how do you think about the market levers all that and that was that was actually brilliant um from then i moved into sort of back to the uk actually and, and that was really my turning point into data where i joined dunhomby uh, around 2002 so it was really early doors it was sort of a tesco case study uh, and effectively i think what dunhomby did very well it, it really credentialized data and i think it put data squarely in the boardroom because effectively the tesco story meant there was quarter on quarter growth uh, and it just transformed how retailers thought about sort of the customer and what they could do with that information really and it evolved things like the double-sided business model and retail media which very much was pioneered with the dunhumby um with tesco and, and now just about every retailer is looking at that model right uh, and then from there, it's it sort of moved on to sort of client side roles, really. Um, and then the latter part uh, is is moved into sort of the non exec sort of direct type roles, and and that's been a really interesting kind of transition and journey for me so far. Yep, yep, nice, um, interestingly, observation from from my side. So I mean, it's amazing how many fantastic people we have at the kind of data leadership, um, you know, around those data leadership tables um, that have come out of. Dunhumby. So obviously done they've done something right uh there for sure. Um so we've got something like 34 odd thousand listeners from 146 different countries. So obviously ITV will be very squarely widely known here in the UK and, and other parts of the you know the world, maybe in closer proximity. But for anyone that isn't familiar, just give us a kind of high level overview of what who ITV is, what what you do, etc. Absolutely. So, so we're a listed business, uh, and effectively, ITV is what we call an integrated producer distributor. And so, what that effectively means is we create content. So, we work with uh, a wide range of independent production companies, uh, and we create content. Uh, we promote that content uh, both nationally and internationally. Uh, we distribute it, and then we monetize that content. Uh, so, effectively, our studios business creates content for the streamers like Netflix, Amazon. Uh, and international broadcasters and then our tv business in the uk and our streaming business effectively make some of that content available in the uk um, but also allows that to be accessed via the streaming service called itvx uh, which is ad funded and there's a subscription model the other part of itv that international viewers may be aware of is britbox which is a joint venture with us and that effectively is exporting the best of british content into all international markets nice yeah very good very good um so obviously you've been there a little while and it's been some some journey i'm uh, i'm very well aware of uh, of that i guess if you can try to surmise i guess what's what was the purpose of itv bringing you in like you know what were you what what was the the broad you know 
high level, here's what we want you to do, Sanjeevan? Absolutely. So, so I think when when the Exco, Carolyn and the Exco community sort of wrote the sort of the more than TV strategy, I think what was really clear in that strategic sort of narrative was that data would underpin and drive how the business operated effectively. And um, so my role when I was brought in was really how do we drive an offensive strategy with data? And what I mean by that is it's one that drives growth and value creation for all stakeholders, right? So if you think about ITV, we're listed. So there's obviously the, the city stakeholder that's, that's quite important for us, but also there's a whole set of other stakeholders we work with, right? So our production companies, our advertisers, colleagues within ITV. So how do we ensure that we're using data to drive growth and development for all of those different stakeholders? And that was very much sort of the, the broadest remit of the role when I first joined. Um, so within that, you know, a lot of the, the things that we need to kind of get involved was, you know, if, we're, if you think about ITV, it's, it's a phenomenally creative organization, right? So suddenly think about sort of data and data science and all these sort of, you know, really wacky sort of sort of very different sort of roles and responsibilities. Um, so a lot of the work initially was very much around the art of the possible. Okay, really understanding how the business operates today. And, and sort of being a push or, or an agitator within the organization to sort of say, look, this is how data could play a role. This is how it might help marketing be more effective or product experience be quite different or how we might advertise slightly differently. And I think the, the approach we took here was very much um, was, was a value generative approach. It's around what value does data really bring to the organization? What are the benefits we might realize? And that way, it ensured that we wouldn't get trapped in the sort of slightly backward-looking KPI reporting and, and dashboards and insights. Not so that they're not important, perhaps they are, but in themselves, they don't necessarily drive growth. And I think the alignment of the data strategy was very much strategically driven. So again, sort of core external KPIs around growth and what we're doing in, in our streaming business, in our studio business, and our broadcast business, but ensuring that data underpinned and helped drive that strategy. And that's how we went down this sort of this value-based approach for the data strategy at ITV. Mm, yeah. I mean, that's it's really interesting. And, and obviously, um, I know we are connected on LinkedIn, Sanjeevan and I. Um, you've probably seen my fair share of rants um, on, <laughs> on this topic. Um, keen to get your just, I guess, general synopsis and kind of a snapshot of a period in time of when you joined the business. Obviously, you talked there about it was very much understanding the art of the possible and you helping the organization to really understand, okay, well, what does all this mean? You know, obviously it's all always about value, but what what is that in the context of this business and how do we achieve that? And what are the use cases and, you know, so on and so forth of all those conversations I'm, I'm sure you had, but I guess at a high level, was the business, did, did the business understand that this was, you know, this was a, a true business thing. This wasn't a technical, let's build some systems and platforms type of uh, a thing. Yeah, so I think what was what was really pivotal actually was both the the PLC board, but also the Exco kind of sponsorship and signposting on the importance of this. Um, so from an organisational perspective, once we got going with the strategy and how it might drive value, um, we then launched and, and we got into a, a big sort of capital markets day where we sort of talked to the investment community and really outlined the strategy for for what ITV was doing around the more than TV strategy. And data was a core part of that sort of um, outwardly facing kind of commitment to the city. And I think what that did was, uh, I think it firstly signposted the strategic importance of data uh, and increasingly, you know, artificial intelligence. We can come on to that a little later on. Um, and it sort of, it sort of helped galvanize the organization around, this is something we're absolutely backing. It's one of our core strategic kind of pillars. I think after that sort of signposting, it then is really critical that you engage with that sort of next tier of leadership, right? To really understand what does it really mean for them? It's all very well saying it's going to be value generative, but if you're in marketing or in commercial, what does it actually mean if you're in ad ops, right? So how do you translate that and make it sort of mean something tangible that resonates with those individual leaders? And that's the real challenge of a lot of these programs, right? And that's the organizational change. It's the cultural change, things around ownership and governance. And I think all those things meant that it wasn't seen as a technology endeavor. And in fact, the data unit doesn't sit in technology. Uh, it was really critical that it sat in the business because it was a business-driven initiative. And I think that then drives really interesting organizational alignment between the corporate strategy and then what's the data strategy to support and drive explicitly the corporate strategy. And that alignment is absolutely critical. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think that's that's 
super interesting because if you know if you think about ITV as um, a use case within the industry, obviously you've done fantastic things, and it's evident from you know everything that we see and hear that data is truly a part of the business, right? And that's what's you know viewed and seen by the people who sit upstairs, as it were. That you know that that is the the future, but obviously, unfortunately, in many instances that isn't the case, right? You know, and and I think the the concept there around understanding what value means to different stakeholders is absolutely critical because yes, at a broad level, okay, value in some way, shape or form probably comes back to improving the bottom line, reducing risk, whatever the case may be, but actually day to day, what does it mean? Because as we all know, right, value is, you know, in the behind, in the eyes of the beholder, right? It means different things to diff- different people. And I think that's sometimes where people and data leaders can get unstuck, especially then if they are forced into this. Well, you know, you're just a te- you're a technical discipline that's helping us to build some systems or platforms, and then we'll worry about the rest later. Which is unfortunately how a lot of these things un- unravel. So that's super interesting context. So thank you for that. So I guess obviously what we're going to be speaking about today, Sanjeevan, is obviously the kind of you know that kind of board and exco level and how that plays a role and the impact that that has on. CDOs and you know I guess the future of the CDO role if we if we want to call it that so I guess you know we know very well through this podcast and having these conversations and our mentorship program and our events um and obviously what we do in our day jobs that there's a lot of people that are scrambling to get to that CDO level right you know many people want the title for obvious reasons and that's absolutely fine I think there's in my opinion, very few, you know, genuine in quotation marks, CDO roles relating to exactly what we've just discussed there about the kind of strategic nature and importance of data and analytics. Um, but I think beyond that, then we often find ourselves deliberating on, well, where where does the CDO go from here, right? You often hear, well, are they the next CEO? Are they the next COO? You know, when you get to a certain level of maturity, the COO and the CDO are should be the same person. And you hear all this stuff all the time, right? But I guess keen to get your perspective on, you know, what do you think the future, the next possible steps of, you know, the CDO journey is, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's a really good question, um, Colin. I don't know if there's a there's a there's a one size fits all answer to this, if I can be honest. Um I, th- I think that the, the emerging themes I think I've observed in the market generally, uh, again, speaking to peers and, and sort of the wider network is there's one strand that seems to kind of go down the sort of the fractional CDO, interim CDO type approach, i.e. You know, they've had a seasoned career, they've done a few of the sort of turns of CDO in different sectors. And actually what they're looking to do is because they've got sort of the patterns of what success looks like and what are the, thing, the pitfalls to avoid, they're very much looking to go into that fractional role. So it's sort of dipping in and working across multiple kind of organizations to kind of help sort of coach develop existing organizations to kind of move and become more data enabled, if you will. So that seems to be like one strand where they're looking for variety effectively, but if it's taking those skills and sort of amplifying your your impact. The second strand I've seen, which has been really interesting shift actually in the market is, is where they've sort of gone into sort of more of a coaching and leadership coaching kind of role. So a lot of the data teams, you know, there are different stages of maturity. And what you often realize in, in the sort of the role is it's less about the task, it's much more about the relationship and a lot of the softer aspects of influencing and some of those things. So there's a few that I've observed that have gone into sort of more leadership coaching kind of roles, and they're really focusing in on how do you then train and develop the next generation of CDOs that are coming through? Because it's going to be a different set of problem statements, right? Organizations are going to be further mature. But some of the softer skills you need, you don't always get sort of opportunity to kind of learn some of those things. So that seems to be like another area where there's definitely a desire for some to kind of give back and sort of take a slightly different slant on how do you sort of amplify your contributions. The third, as you've mentioned, is is the CEO type positioning, right? And I think what you do see increasingly is either the roles are now appearing more on kind of exco level positions, or what happens is that there's a move into CEO roles where for sort of you know data rich businesses, they're looking for that sort of skill set where you understand the value of data, you understand the potential to create double-sided business models or revenue diversification models through data products. And that becomes sort of quite a strand. But I don't think it's for all businesses. Um, I think it's more businesses that are quite data rich and they're sort of figuring out where else could we take this? How could we kind of productize this? How do we narrate and storytell to investors and, and, and potential clients? The other one that I think is, is an emerging t- trend now um, is into sort of the board and advisory work. 
because I think the reality is, Kyle, there's a, there's a real shortage of the skill set, right? Um, yes, you can hire technical competence, but actually it's more than just the technical endeavor. In, in, in fact, the technical part is often the easiest part to crack. Um, and I think in the sort of the board and advisory world, it feels like there's a, there's a, there's definitely a, a logical pathway into that because I think the contribution CEOs can make in those kind of communities, again, hugely amplifies what the role that they can play and the impact they can make in terms of the organizations they're contributing towards. So I think there's a couple of options. I don't think there's a, there's a one size fits all, but it feels like there's, there's multiple pathways emerging. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. I think there's, as you say, the context of the organization is a critical component of this, right? And obviously the skill set of the individual and I guess their drivers and, and motivations, I think obviously as a service, from our perspective, we've created that kind of fractional ad hoc bench type of thing where you know um because you you tend you do tend to find a lot of organizations that you know they jumped feet first into this data stuff and have kind of felt their way through it up until now and then they're trying to kind of you know put the cherry on the cake so to speak all right okay we need someone who brings all of this together but they don't necessarily know whether you know they don't they might not want to go and hire one of the big strategy houses to give them what that strategy should look like. They might not want to go and bring someone, you know, at your level in to do that until they know what's going to be involved. Right. So I think there's a, there's definitely a big, a big play there. And one of the reasons why, you know, we, we looked at that and I think obviously the whole NED type of board advisory stuff for sure um, is, is, is very prevalent. I, I guess where, where do you sit then in regards to, the role of the CDO and the whole debate around where it should sit from a reporting structure and should it be in the boardroom, shouldn't it be in, be in the boardroom? Um, and I guess we can use that as then a, a kind of a jumping off point into that kind of NED board advisory space. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good point. And I think there's 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 probably endless debates uh, and, and arguments that justifies one way or the other. I think, I think the way I tend to look at it is um, what outcome do you want to achieve with with the CDO appointment, right? So, you know, are you intentional about it, and do you want more of an offensive strategy, right? Um, which means it needs to sit in a different part of the organisation, or is it simply an enabler, right? And therefore, it's enabling, it's a cost centre, um, and therefore it can sit in a different place. So, so I think depending on, I think what sort of outcome you're looking for strategically, I think that probably guides where you put it. Um, from, from my certain perspective, as I've always maintained it, it absolutely needs to sit in the business because I think data is a, is a business-driven sort of problem statement and it's the business that needs to own it. It's not a technology problem. Don't get me wrong. Technology is critically important uh, and it's, it's a key enabler to all of what we do uh, in terms of cloud and distribute compute, all that sort of complexity. You absolutely need to be joined at the hip with the CTO office. But fundamentally, to kind of ensure that the last mile gets unlocked, and that last mile sits in the business, it's got to be a business-driven initiative, right? Now, I know several CDOs that sit in different parts of the organization, so I'm not saying one model is right or wrong. I think it's much more about what outcome you're trying to achieve with the role, and that, I think, determines where you would place it. Um, and I think that the, the shift towards Yetsco is really interesting, actually, because I think um, what that then does is it allows sort of that consistent thread of how data can shape the strategic narrative and the strategic agenda to be ever present. Otherwise, what you tend to find is a whole set of strategies are debated and discussed and all the sort of functional aspects of the XCO are represented. So sales, marketing, you know, et cetera, all the functional areas. And that sort of data voice cannot often be missing. Um, so I think what it does when you put it at the XCO is it, it just changes the debate, changes the narrative. And fundamentally, the only way CDOs are ever going to be successful is if they have those that peer group also sort of aligning and pulling together because it is it is very much a team sport. It can't be achieved in, in isolation because you don't own any of the levers, right? And that's where the Exco role, I think you then create that horizontal kind of merging and that alignment in terms of the strategic imperatives. How do you think about driving the value out of this? How do we make sure we align priorities? A lot of those things become a lot simpler and faster to kind of resolve. Yeah, absolutely. I know we've spoke about this before right and I, but i think there's this kind of narrative that's been brewing or rebrewing shall we say around um you know that very statement that you made there you know because we aren't uh, we as you know the data collective aren't the people that pull the levers and take the action and make the decisions and so on and so forth that equally we shouldn't be responsible for the outcome right the the, the value because you know if we can't if we can't 
you know, be the action taker, then is is that fair? Um, I think then you get into the whole cost center thing, right? Yeah, um, I, I think it's an interesting debate, Carl, because I think it. That, I think that debate, I think, is a very personal question for CEOs, right? Because I think if you if you take that approach, man, we don't own the levers, therefore we can't be held accountable. I think what then happens is you, you effectively are saying, I'm simply an enabler and I'm a cost center. Right? And, and maybe that's fine for some. I'm, again, there's no right or wrong answer for any of this. Right? I think it's all down to personal motivations, personal drivers. I think when you're going down an offensive strategy, I think you, you sort of do need to sort of stick your neck out a little bit more. And I do think you need to sort of be ready to agitate and push because otherwise, you know, change is hard in organizations, right? And I think if you don't have that sort of, like fire in your belly and this sort of this view that you really do want to sort of influence and activate the last mile and take joint ownership of it there's a real risk you can incur a lot of cost enabling but there won't be much thought about the value in the last mile right and i think you hear in a lot of organizations right carl i think most companies have more insight than they ever know what to do with insight's not the problem it's the last mile it's the activation it's the utility it's and i think cdos need to kind of think end to end and be able to go end to end to be able to not only ideate, do the development, but fundamentally influence and ensure that value realization is jointly held and, and jointly delivered. Mm. Yeah. I guess from your many years of experience then, Sanjeev, and, and a very subjective question I, I appreciate, but has, has there been any kind of trends or anything that you know sparks a thought in your mind as to why you find that some organizations and the leaders within them you know view data you know straight off the bat as this can be a strategic enabler it's the future it sits in the business it's a business asset blah 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 versus the ones that see it as for for whatever reason an enabler like why, why does why is there a contrast there I, I think it i think it comes down to um when you look at sort of I guess exco leaders um, and boards increasingly is is sort of how homogenized or diverse is that group, right? And and by that I'm talking about a couple of things, right? There's sector diversity. So for example, um, you know, is there a prevalence where you tend to recruit from the same sort of sector, um, and therefore you know there's 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 a risk of homogenous thinking, or are there quite diverse sectors that are being represented, right? So for example, um, for us, Carolyn's ex EasyJet, and then prior to that. You know, Guardian. So there's been quite a few sectors that she's touched and seen in different mental models, right? Um, and some of the for boards, right? When you look at sort of listed company boards, what are the expertise and the sector diversity that, that that's being brought in? So I think that then becomes a real fertile ground for some of these sort of disparate thoughts and disparate strands of thinking around where does it play, what role does it see? And I think a lot of the leaders that then have got different mental models of what good looked like where they've seen it successful before, what patterns did they see before? I think that complete sort of ecosystem of your board, your exco, then I think becomes quite fundamental around the mindset and psychology of where does this sit? How important is it? How do we signpost importance? I think that's how it starts to get translated, then manifests itself. And then ultimately, it then very quickly tips into the culture and how do you signpost these things as important and then sort of take the organization on a bit of a journey. So I think that it's a multifaceted aspect but i think that that sort of that sort of um diversity of thought i think is a, is a key component around what then happens and where it gets shaped yeah yeah absolutely i think i mean i harp on about diversity of thought you know um I probably one post a week um to be honest with you um that's not saying much but uh <laughs> but I, I think it's a very interesting point because that's probably something that many cdos don't or you know data executives whatever the title is probably don't look too much at that, right? Especially if they are a layer or two removed from being within that environment. But I think obviously it, it, that can almost create the conditions by which you have to operate. So it's something, you know, not necessarily thought about it like that before. So that's really interesting perspective to kind of, you know, probably prompt people to say, well, look at the board, you know, are they all from the finance sector and, you know, all look the same and being there for 30 years and so on and so forth, right? Because that will probably play a part into, you know, the importance and then the signposting of that importance, as you as you say, um, which is really, really interesting. Um, taking us to the NED board advisory space, and obviously, you know, these types of roles in other more traditional business units have been around forever, right? You know, NEDs or board advisors that advise from finance or 
ops or merger and acquisitions or sales and marketing or whatever the case may be. Obviously, data analytics and artificial intelligence is definitely one that is often missing for sure. Is that a maturity thing or why, why do you think that it hasn't managed to creep into to be as prevalent as you know some of the other things given how much importance businesses are putting on on data yeah i think it's it's certainly an emerging trend carla and that's i think that the history of if you look back over time look at sort of how boards were historically made up and and the kind of the role of the board and i guess the fiduciary responsibility and the, the kind of the governance aspect of it you know you, you typically have have had boards with that have come through sort of like a, a you know an fd route or a legal route right and and for very valid reasons right um but i think that model is rapidly changing um so to your point you know increasingly you know i've not just pretty much every single organization now is trying to figure out how do they get their organization ai ready right and that's a very different set of skills i think increasing the board's role now is to provide leadership really around sort of you know growth and the growth agenda and value creation versus value destruction right like historically especially when you look back at sort of you know a lot of organizations that, that have had you know quarter on quarter growth and suddenly just dropped off a cliff right there's been loads of them from the nokias the blackberries or the rest of it right so i think what you can often observe is boards can sometimes be asleep at the wheel right because it, it's quite you know growth mindset it's all going well everything's going great in fact, that's probably the most important time boards need to play a role in terms of governance and understanding and, and querying, okay, where are we going next? What's the horizon scanning? And I think that need for that skill set is increasingly becoming more important because I think what we're observing now is the organizational agility cycles are getting faster, right? Mm -hmm. And as a result of that, adaptability, flexibility of the organization becomes quite critical. And there's other things happening as well, right, for boards. So, for example, the historical mindset of the competitive landscape is rapidly changing because technology is commoditizing things so quickly. Your original set and suite of competitors are no longer that same set, right? Best to come, come in, the barriers to entry are a lot lower. And so the, the, the sort of the makeup and the skills on the board are now getting quite different. Um, and so there is absolutely a need for data leaders to play that role. But I think the, the thing I would say, though, it's you don't just go in and just contribute with your functional vertical of data. You've got to be able to contribute more widely. And I think this is where the CDO role perfectly matches that requirement because CDOs that are sort of playing that strategic landscape are always looking horizontally at the organization to understand how to create value at every point of the leaves that we have control over. And they're understanding the kind of the way in which the business operates in terms of the value chain. And that's the critical thing for boards. It's understanding holistically how the organization is creating value but bringing to bear the entry point of your data and AI understanding around how does that create growth opportunities and how does that prevent value destruction opportunities? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Do, do you think then, obviously it sounds there, you know, the the dynamic of the board is going to, is starting to change and probably will change and be changing faster due to, you know, just the, the world and how we operate and, and how business um, works, I guess, moving forward. What do you see then? And you touched upon it there briefly, um, but, is it a case of for CDOs to move into that kind of board advisory type role that, you know, I guess what what are the prerequisites around what they would have to show to maybe get into that situation? Yeah, so I think I think I think there absolutely is a role and a need for that skill set. Um, I think certainly as you look forward, you know, we're about to witness probably the, the single biggest value redistribution. Uh, with once sort of artificial intelligence really flows through that we've probably ever seen in our careers professionally, right? So when you think about that, um, what then becomes very evident is, you know, there needs to be that understanding around the opportunity around data in organizations, right? Whether you're in a B2B or B2C space. Um, but I think the, the skill sets increasingly, um, and if you think about when you're already working as, as an executive, fundamentally at the board, it's all about relationships. And it's quite a nuanced sort of arena here because you're not there as an executive, right? You're not there to sort of pull any of the levers or to execute any strategy. You've already got an incredibly capable executive leadership team in place. So the board's role is being that critical friend, right? So you need to sort of understand the strategy, understand where the executives are going to it, but question it in a way that's not um, threatening. Uh, it's not disarming. 
but it's in a way in which you're trying to question talk to seek greater understanding and to challenge some of the strategies that are being put in place. But you need to do so in a way that's very much relationship biased because that's fundamentally an effective board needs to have a very good way of working and, and relationship with the exco as well. So some of the skills that you need as a CDO in terms of storytelling, working with multiple stakeholders, and being able to kind of translate. So the conversation you might have with the CFO is very different as a data leader to the conversation you might have with the CMO, right? That skill to be able to kind of traverse different functional aspects is exactly what's needed on the board, right? Because you need to contribute beyond just the data thing, right? Because they can just get in a data expert, a board advisor, and job done. So it's that ability, I think, as data leaders to firstly understand, you know, how does your business create value? What's the value chain? Um, it's understanding how the various component parts play together to create value. And obviously, data is the consistent strand throughout that. But it's that horizontal understanding of how businesses operate, where the opportunities are, where you can create efficiencies, how you can create new revenue streams. That's critically where you then create a greater contribution. The other aspect, which I think is really interesting for CDA, is because of the nature of data we're handling, is we're also very familiar with the world of risk and audit and risk committees, right? And the ICO and all the things we need to think about with, with very sensitive data when you think about healthcare or you know um, personal data or private data, some of those things, right? So we're, we're very accustomed to thinking about things like governance with our general counsel teams and our data protection officers. That's no different to how boards think about audit and risk, right? So again, CDOs have already have, have already sort of, in many ways as executives, learned a lot of these skills in their day jobs. And when you get on the board, it's balancing opportunity with risk when you think about the audit and risk committee. It's joining the dots. And again, as a CDO, you often are joining the dots organizationally. An example is, you know, ESG is a big component for boards at the moment, right? And net zero and a lot of these things are really critical important. It's one thing for a board to make loads of ESG statements. But what you need to do is you need to join those statements and those promises to your CapEx and OpEx investments so you can trace it through and say, are we making investments to back that? You need to trace that through to Remco. So are the remuneration for the Exco community, are they aligned with some of these objectives you're sitting with, you're setting out yourselves out for for ESG? And that ability to join the dots is no different to what you do as an executive, as a CDO, because you have to join the dots across the organization to ensure consistency. So weirdly, CDOs do have a lot of these skills. Uh, and I think it's about how do you contribute beyond your functional vertical? That might be your entry point onto the board, but you've got to be able to contribute beyond that. Yeah. So much stuff uh, in there. As you were talking, Sanjeev, and my, my mind was just like going a million miles an hour. Um, but I think, you know, absolutely right. Everything you say there, if you think about, you know, as we touched upon earlier, the, the technicalities is often the easy thing, right? The, to, to, or the easiest thing to get done. Um, whereas it, it is often the things that you've exactly just spoken about there, you know, the influencing, the the translating, the the persuading, the the selling in, you know, the dirty word of selling in quotation marks and and all of that type of good stuff um is really what what makes the difference. I think um what I find fascinating is that obviously many CEOs and boards, they all want value from this stuff, right? But often the the way that they hire isn't aligned to that right so i put a post out this week about this and i see this literally on a daily basis right so you'll see the cdo job spec and you know it's still got things like python and aws on it and you're sat there you know, scratching your head followed by a, a swift bang against the wall um again um wondering how <laughs> how we're we still having this conversation but you know so the types of people that they go and attract then aren't necessarily don't have the skills or expertise to do everything that you've just outlined there to get to the point of realizing value for an organization. And then lo and behold, 18 months later, you know, the CEO knock at the door, where's, where's the value? Where's, where's the cash? And it's, it was kind of operating on two different spectrums. So the whole expectations piece is, is, is really interesting. You've touched upon many times here that I guess the difference between having an offensive strategy versus maybe something that was, you know, we'd be used to more traditionally. Do you think that that influences someone's ability as a CDO and then probably their their kind of candidate candidacy for entering the boardroom in whatever capacity? Yeah, so I think I think what's interesting about sort of the offense versus defense type of mindset, um, Carl, is you know, in many ways, sort of boards need both kind of levels of understanding, right? Um, but what I think the emerging trend is. Um, 
is the, the board's role is to provide leadership in many ways to drive kind of value creation, right? And effectively, therefore, prevent value disruption. And I think if you just enter with the sort of defensive mindset of reporting KPIs, I'm not saying they're not important. They absolutely are because it, it, it gives you a barometer around how effectively is the business performing today. But the reality is, Kyle, that's a backward-looking metric, right? And, and the KPI isn't the outcome itself. It's what do you then go on and do with it? How is business reacting to, it? Uh, reacting to it? What are the things in the last mile that we need to put in place to now act on that information? And I think what happens when you're playing the, the offensive mindset is you sort of wire yourself slightly differently because you are overtly making statements of value. You are overtly trying to unlock and unblock the last mile because you understand for the value to be realized, marketing needs to be able to do something. Well, for marketing to be able to do that, they're going to need a customer data platform capabilities, for example. But it's not just putting in some tech, right? They also need the training. We need to be able to track it all the way through. So all the sort of the business um, processes and all the things that need to be put in place for the value realization to actually happen are quite key. So we often talk about um, what I talk about is value potential, which can be quite material, and value capture. The difference between those two numbers is the cultural change. It's the data governance. Because if you underinvest in governance and, and ownership and all the things that you need to put in place, the value capture might be massive. Uh, sorry, the value potential might be massive, but the actual value capture can be a lot smaller. So the more you you think about change and upskilling all those things, that's when you get these two numbers to better match. And that's the key thing with the whole value generative approach, because I think you lean yourself in, you are making yourself sort of joint accountable for it. And then you put yourself in a position where you are trying to sort of push and influence and encourage unlocking of that last mile. So it, it can all actually be realized. And the difference between value potential and value capture is much more aligned. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Obviously, we we have many a, a debate around the semantics of things like you know data driven versus data informed or data enabled or data led or whatever whatever the flavor of the of the week is at that point in time. Obviously, I know at ITV and, and your whole thing is being value driven, right? So just talk us high level through that that approach. I know it's something that. Uh, has obviously served you very well and you're, you're very proud of. But I guess what, what are the fundamental differences? Yeah, I, th I think the big one for me is when you go down the, the value generative approach um, and the value approach, one, it aligns very closely, especially with listed businesses, right, with, with your CFO and your FDs, right? And, and because that's the language they're, they're familiar with, right? They're looking at EBIT, they're looking at margins, they're looking at revenues. So, so it kind of naturally aligns in terms of financial backing. The key thing for me, though, is it, it compels the CDO, I think, to really understand the various levers in the organization, right? So your classic kind of sales, marketing, you know, content in our business, scheduling. And what you then need to do is I think there is a bit of the art of the possible. So that's showcasing, you know, the potential of what data can do. But critically, because you're engaging with these business stakeholders that have got really deep industry knowledge around how their unit operates. What you then very quickly get to is what are the problems you're faced with and how might data solve some of those problems? If they could, data could play a role in those things, what benefit would it realize and get generated for your particular vertical? And because you're then compelled to kind of work collectively with the business stakeholders, right? You're not delivering, delivering these in an ivory tower, right? You're doing a lot of workshops. You're, you're talking to the business. You're understanding what the marketing challenges or the, the sales challenges around yield for advertising, for example. Um, what that then does is it allows you to, to sort of jointly agree what value might be generated. So if you built a churn model or a new trading segment, how much more could we sell that for? And because you're talking to the, you know, the functional leader, they've got a really a reasonable good idea around how much more value they could think they could exploit or, or extract from that. And what, what gets interesting there, the way we certainly looked at it is, you know, we had a couple of buckets, right? You had revenue protection, which is sort of saying, we, we didn't put this capability in, and there's a risk that value might get eroded. And we had revenue capacity, which is a really interesting one, um, which is sort of saying that, let's say marketing brings in viewers, right? Well, you've got the viewers in, but what if they don't watch any content? Is that a bad thing? And what you've got to un unlock is actually bringing them in. There's potential there. They could go on and view. So there should be credit and, and some kind of value associated with that. And what we then start to do is we started to sort of mix up the KPIs. So marketing don't look at just cost to acquire. They look at cost to acquire per viewing hour. So suddenly marketing worry about bringing them in and getting them to watch. And that's how you start to bring about organizational change and cultural change. And I think that's some of the things that I think the, the value-driven approach compels you to look at. 
I think the challenge with, with the data-driven approach is that being data-driven isn't an outcome in itself, right? Because well, what does that really mean? And in what aspects of your organization are you going to be truly data-driven? So I think the conversation has to go a stage further. And well, what are you going to do with it? How are you going to use it? Is the last mile fully you know, embedded and enabled? Are you thinking about cultural adoption and not only data literacy, but also business literacy for your data teams? Are you thinking about a sustained change? So this is all about embedding teams into business units. They go native. And I think the, the data-driven approach doesn't always lend yourself to that, right? Because you can inadvertently result into a sea of KPIs and a sea of dashboard or a sea of insight. And that in itself isn't the outcome, right? It's what's the business going to do with it? And how do you consciously, very mindfully look at that aspect of it? Because that's where the real value gets realized. And I think that's the difference in those two approaches. I'm not saying, again, it's right or wrong. I don't, you know, I think it's one model for all. But I think you've got to be really intentional when you debate these two things and be very focused around CDO. Which which style do you want to operate within? Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I guess what, in your opinion, what are the consequences then of if businesses don't start to look at and adopt kind of, you know, this type of knowledge and approach and experience into the boardroom, what what happens to them? Well, I think I think at, at a macro level, it, you're effectively looking at value erosion, right, or managed decline, whichever way you put it. And I think you know history is littered with lots of case studies where effectively organisations have slept walked into you know being a radically declining business. And I think part of that is because you're you're sort of flying blind. So it's a bit like you know trying to run a uh, land a plane without air traffic control, right? You you just wouldn't do it, right? Um, and I think w- what what happens effectively is y- you you either miss signals because you're not you know constantly horizon scanning, understanding the committal landscape. So you either miss signals, or perhaps in some instances you're seeing the signals, but you don't know and you haven't activated and you aren't able to move fast enough. And this is where this this whole narrative around the last month is critically important. Right? It's all very well having all the insight and all the signals, but if you can't execute and can't move quickly enough and can't act on it in terms of agility. You're still going to going sort of sleepwalking into this sort of decline mindset, and I think that's the key thing for this. In that, if you if you're not starting to think like this, if you're not starting to put these things in place, increasingly, if organisations aren't going to become AI ready, you you're absolutely going to start to fall behind because effectively you'll have a very high cost base, right? And as others are removing and becoming more efficient and be able to deliver the same products at lower margins or improved margins because they're more efficient, you're going to be out of kilter. Right. And very quickly you're going to see real value displacement happening in the market. So I do think it is it's absolutely critical. I think increasingly the narrative of value erosion um becomes really pivotal in, in some of these discussions. Mm. Do you think this is a conversation or uh, you know, a, a notion of thinking that current excos and boards are having? Do you think they're aware of what's coming down the pipe and how quickly they need to act? And I guess to to give you some context there. The reason I ask that question is obviously most business leaders I speak to are fully aware of the value of data and analytics and artificial intelligence and what that could mean for their business. Yet often their actions signal and signal and signpost something different by the way they hire for it, where they place it, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I'm you know keen to get your your thoughts on you know the lip service type of <laughs> thing that we hear about, right? So I think I think this comes down to um, effectively the, the composition of your board and the composition of your exco, right? Um, so I think certainly um, you know, and, and it varies by organisations, right? And I think the other aspect in that conversation, I think, is the level to which you are operating within a very regulated environment. So I think about sort of financial services and colleagues in pharma; those are hugely regulated environments, right? Where the the, the cost of non-compliance is effectively you can lose your license, right? So that that appetite for risk is radically different right and the way you think about risk and have to operate with that for very understandable reasons so i think um what i've observed that in in our organization and it could be partly because we're very creatively driven right and creativity is a very sort of can be quite a messy endeavor and it's it's very innovative and you know some things work some things don't but that culture of creativity permeates throughout the organization and that also gets mirrored in our board as well, right? So I think for us, certainly, there's there's that classic kind of, you know, horizon scanning. So we have a digital advisory committee uh, with our ex-co-on and some of our board members. And what that effectively is doing, um, Kai, is it's looking out on the horizon 
looking at sort of some of these emerging technologies and then critically translating that and then posing the question, what does this mean for our business? Does it create value or is it a threat? And what's our response to it? And then I think because with the way this has been set up at ITV, it, it is with the exco, it is with you know the CEO, it is with you know the board as well. It drives that sort of strategic narrative because there's a consistency around what we're seeing. And then how does that appear in our five-year plan? How are we committing to that? What is the shape of our OPEX versus CAPEX investment in some of these areas? And I think that's when you start to, my earlier point, you start to join the dots, that consistency. Is it, is it, are we, are we talking the talk and are we walking the walk? And I think that's how we join those two things up quite elegantly in the work that's been happening at ITV. Yeah. Awesome. That's great. Um, couple of things then before we finish. So obviously, you know, we're talking here about the future of the CDO role, you know, which means existing CDOs thinking about their future and how they position themselves to maybe get into those, you know, get into the boardroom in whatever capacity, obviously to do that, you know, the element of succession planning and, you know, replacing oneself becomes critically important there, I guess. How do you ensure that, you know, in the midst of day-to-day and realizing value and, you know, all the things that that go on for CDOs like yourself, you know, in, in role, how, how do you go about making sure that you're building that kind of next generational capability in terms of, you know, capability internally, but the team, the people, you know, the, the whole shebang, I guess. Yeah, I think, I think for us, um, this sort of, you know, divergence of thought has been a big, a really important part in how we've sort of built like leadership teams and the entire department. So I think for us, it's, it's, it's that, that sort of, um, diverge in terms of what's the profile of mix of skills you're bringing in and critically from what sector because i think what we've observed that is a lot the more of that outside in thinking you can bring in the quality of the ideas especially once you embed those leaders into those into the business units the quality of the ideas the ability to execute the ability to see it all the way through to value realization becomes a whole lot easier so i think it's it's beyond the technical skills. I think that's one big strand that's consistently coming through. Now, don't get me wrong, when you're hiring a platform engineer, a data engineer, absolutely, there's got to be those technical skills, right? But those skills alone won't help you win and won't nurture the next generation of talent. So what we've put in place here, sadly, is, you know, if you are in some of those technical tracks, there is absolutely an expectation as you become more senior that you're coaching, you're mentoring, you're developing more junior talent. The other thing we've done quite successfully is we we aim to kind of make sure we can cross-pollinate a lot of the skills. Because these units and these embedded teams have a combination of data scientists, data engineer, platform engineers, data analysts, data product leaders. When those skills start to work together in a cross-functional team, you really start to have a sort of empathy and appreciation for some of the other roles. And that ability to kind of understand what the other person on the other side of the table is trying to achieve and what challenges they're facing and what can I do to make their challenge easier in terms of the data pipeline for a data scientist, for example. That level of understanding is exactly the core skill set that gets amplified when you translate that and you think about a business. Because effectively, you need to empathize with your CMO, with your, your, your sales leaders, and understand what is, it, what is the world they're facing when they're talking to external stakeholders? What is it they're trying to achieve? What are the pain points they're having? And how do you then match with that? So that ability to kind of work in those cross-functional teams, very visible in the business, become quite a key aspect of what what some of the early strands are for the next generation leaders and talent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, um, I mean, again, something that we think about quite a lot. And I think it's, you know, it's actually really refreshing to hear someone talk about that kind of cross-pollination of, of skills and, and I guess then even further to that, how it transcends through one's career in terms of thinking and approach to to the to the work as kind of people move through the kind of ladder, right? From a from a kind of seniority and, and responsibility perspective. So that's um awesome stuff. I guess last question then. Obviously as someone that's operating in a NED capacity yourself right now, uh, there'll be many people out there listening to this that are thinking, yes, that's something that I'd like to get into at some point in, in time. What kind of nuggets of advice would you give them um, to kind of, you know, position themselves to to, to do so? Yes, I think the, the challenge I had, and this is a classic, is um, you can't get onto a board unless you've had board experience. So how do you ever get started, right? And I, and I had it at endless times. So I think um, a really big, big bit of advice that I I receive and I actually did take and this is what helped me get started on mine is 
is get started on a pro bono board, right? And and join something that you're really passionate about. So in my case, it was around education and, and the future of sort of secondary school and education, right? So I joined um, a local school and became a non-exec director there from uh, a multi-academy trust, effectively. Um, so you can do something like that or do something in terms of the charity sector, the third sector, right? Because they are they are absolutely crying out for non-exec. It's pro bono. But the reason I say that is because you really learn the, the role, you learn the difference and how you need to move away from the ex-co contribution to the board. You learn the language of all the different committees, right? So audit and risk. What is it they look for? What is it they worried about? How do they think about sort of long-term sustainability of the business that you might be you know, providing board advisory on? I think that helps you really absorb the language of risk and understand what are the things boards worry about? How do they exert influence on the ex-co? How do they sort of start to bring in some external thinking? And that, that learning is a very different set of skills. And critically, the relationship dynamics, which you which you just fascinating to observe. And I think once once I did that, and because I was quite passionate about education, it, it aligned with my own needs. So that there's a plethora of schools that would happily take uh, and are always looking for, for non-execs, but equally the charity sector, right? You can do pro bono work there. And that that helped. The second thing, which I think is really critically important, is then relationship building. Right. So if you're in an existing company uh, that's listed, you know, connect with your non-exec directors, start talking to them, start to build those networks out, because most of the time it won't be advertised. Right. Most of the time it will come through a network referral. Um, And that's the other key part of this. If you can get on a pro bono to get started and then start actively building those networks and those relationships, because that's where you start to bring those two worlds collectively together. And that then starts to open up very, very different types of conversations. And you learn a tremendous amount, uh, if I could be honest, Carl. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Sanjeev, and look, it's been uh, an absolute pleasure talking with you. Um, we could probably run this for another hour at, at least, but I'm uh, very conscious that you are an extremely busy man, um, at a very busy time of the year. So um, we'll let you go. But thank you so much for coming on the show. And um, yeah, we look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thanks for having me, Carl. It's been absolutely brilliant. Have a good one. Cheers. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow Orbition Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like, and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week.